0: Well, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Mark, obviously. We're still there. James, I'll have you do the slides while uh, while uh the Scripture's going, and then I'll take over from there. Okay? Thanks. Um, if you don't have a Bible at your home, I want you to know that one in the seat back in front of you. You can take with you. Um, we want you to have that as our gift. And uh, if you don't know how to open a Bible... Uh, Get near somebody who does. Or somebody's going to shout out the page number here in just a second. Is it 691? 691. You can turn to just page 691. Look for the big number 11. And then go down through and find, after that big number 11, find a little number 12. And that's where we're going to start reading today. It's a very strange story. We're kind of in the middle of this... um, we're in the middle of this series, we're going through Mark, and you guys are reading one chapter of Mark every day for a week, and then I promise to preach from there. So this week you should have been reading chapter 11 every day, sit with it, wrestle with it, ask questions, and then I promise to preach like I will here in just a second from somewhere in there. So starting today, start reading chapter 12 every day and come back, and next week we'll talk about chapter 12, okay? Okay. So here is the gospel about Jesus Christ as told to us by Mark. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all? All nations, but you have made it a den of robbers, terrorists. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots Jesus remembered and said to uh, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in Heaven may forgive your sins. Let's pray. Ask God to bless the reading and teaching of His Word. Jesus, these words tell us about You. So help us to hear them because it's kind of strange for us to hear And see the actions that you did in this story. So help us to hear more deeply. And help me to explain in ways that will reach our hearts. And help us to understand your kingdom better. For I ask this in your great name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, today uh, this this passage is a bit odd, isn't it? This is this is one of the ones that always kind of tends to throw people. Um, it's like, does Jesus like did he invent Roundup at that moment, or um, you know, did, does he have something against figs or fig trees? Um, this seem, you know, was was Jesus just hangry? Like, did he need a Snickers? You know, is he in one of those, uh, one of those, those places? And and then, you know, he goes into the temple and he causes all this commotion. And, you know, what's going on here? So, right off the bat, I just want to say, uh, for us that there's something more at work here. Okay, we we see this, and because Peter talks about it as a curse, look, Jesus, the the tree that you cursed has died. We think of this as a curse, but really, this is actually a miracle. It's it's something that Jesus does uh, that is. And, and remember what we said about miracles in Mark. There's always something deeper at work going on than Jesus was hangry and and he just. You know, the, the tree didn't have the food he needed. Um, there was something deeper that's going on. And so we get this traditional, wonderful Mark sandwich, you know. So we have Jesus, uh, the, the fig tree, and then we have him going into the temple, and then we have the fig tree. So it's kind of like we've got to pay attention. All of it is important. It's sandwiched in these between these two stories about the fig tree. And so we want to look at this. So when we jump right in, uh, we see... Uh, first of all, if we were to go right back to the very beginning, we see that this is, follows Jesus, what we call the triumphant entry, right? So Jesus comes and uh, he's riding on a donkey, a very uh, kingly thing to do. It is also a symbol of peace. And so Jesus is walking in, and uh, and people are shouting these very kingly things to him: "Hosanna, the King of David!" Uh, you know they're they're singing all these songs to him. But we see again, Jesus just isn't going to play the game of of being a king like all the other kings. He's not going to be a king that wants to get power so he can put other people down and put his people on top. It's kind of, I just think it's so funny. They get to the end, you know, all this hoopla, all this great parade. They're talking about Jesus as the king. And then verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem. He went into the temple courts, which is what they should do so that the priests can acknowledge his kingship and anoint him and, uh, and begin the takeover. But what does it say? He went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, eh, he and his disciples went back out to Bethany. It's again, Mark is just wanting us to understand. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the the rightful king of Israel. However, it's not going to be in the ways that you and I think about kingship or what a son of God should do. There's something deeper going on here. So then we see Jesus coming to this fig tree. Now, uh, a few years ago, when Lori and I were living in Northern Ireland, um, it, it's a little less expensive if you live in Europe and you're earning in a job in Europe to travel in Europe. Just like if, you come, if you're here, it's a little easier for you to travel here in the United States than it is, uh, say, in uh, England, which is quite expensive. Uh, and so we had this wonderful opportunity to go to Greece. And so we flew to the island of Lesbos. It's a very, uh, it was one of the larger islands of Greece, but it's not a touristy island. And I found out that all the biblical Greek that I learned was pretty much useless. I could read the signs. It did help me that way, the street signs, but talking to somebody, forget it. Uh, but we had this beautiful time and, and we had a friend who had an apartment there and he was away and he said, if you'll come during this time and feed my fish, uh, you can have my apartment. Oh, what a gorgeous place. Balcony looked over the Aegean Sea. You could see the coast of Turkey just over over the way to the west. We'd see the sunset there. And every morning we would go to the little beach that uh, that we loved. We learned uh, we learned the word Yasas. Good word, it just means hello. It also means goodbye. It's kinda of like it's the Greek version of aloha, you know. Yasas, and, yassas. and we would we would walk and as we come down to the bottom of, of uh Manos' street, uh we would turn to the right and you would see this castle from the tenth century and we would walk past and and you would see on on the left side was was this beach and if you walked along by the castle you would see this this wall underneath had been worn down over time it was the old uh, harbor of Middeleni now Middelini is where Paul came in the gospel in acts of the apostles he he came in there to think you know Paul the apostle Paul where this where this bar is right now he might have walked right here you know, you might have come up out of the ocean right here. And we would walk down and we'd walk along. And as you got near that wall, um, you would just begin to smell this incredible fragrance. I don't know how to describe it. I've looked for a Yankee candle that has this smell. I can't find one. It's just this beautiful smell. And we, we began to ask and found out it was fig trees. And there were some right along the the path there. And and you could just smell They had big leaves, you know, about a little bigger than my hand. And and, and just the smell of the fruit is just so fragrant and, and just beautiful. As you walk by, you just feel refreshed. And uh, in fact, one of the times uh, we knew it was like kind of our last time at the beach and we had said yasas to all the little old ladies that swam at the at the beach where we were and we're walking back and I just I, I literally walked in under the leaves so I could just smell the smells and kind of remember uh, this smell. Well, uh, I love, so I love fig trees, so this story kind of disturbs me a little bit, you know, that Jesus would get so angry at a fig tree that he would curse it and it would go away and that beautiful smell would be lost along that road wherever it was. But there's something deeper that's going on here. When, when you have figs, and I, I had to look this up and, and, uh, and, and find out about fig trees. Why would Jesus do this? Well, there's something that's going on here in the story that if you were a part of the ancient Middle East, you would know. You would understand some things. First of all, oftentimes... Uh, the, people of Israel and the temple and the priests there in Judaism were referred to as fig trees. They were ones that grew up and were a fragrant offering and they gave their fruit out into the world. And remember, the fruit of the people of Israel was to bless the nations. They were to be a blessing of God to all the nations. So we have this symbolism going on. But Jesus uh, comes up, and I know we're told it was not the season for figs, but I found out something that's very interesting. Are you ready? Are you ready to hear this? Because you get to say a, a nice Middle Eastern word today, alright? It is the word taquash. I have it spelled up there, but I also have it spelled out uh, so we could uh so we can say it together. It's the word taquash. Are you ready to say this together? Ready? One, two, three, quash. Alright? And I want you to remember this word. Uh, it's not a super important word, but it's a fun word to say, right? So, alright, ready? One, two, three? Taquash. And one time so that you dream about it. Ready? One, two, three. Taquash. Alright. So what does taquash mean? Well, taquash are small, tiny figs. And they actually, when, when uh, spring comes, they are actually kind of the leftover remnants of last year's figs. And when the sap comes out and the leaves begin to go, there are these little tiny ones. You can kind of see them there. You see the leaves and you just see that little tiny bud that's there. And they, they kind of grow early because they're just taking some of the sap that's going to the leaves. They're not super sweet. They're not uh, the greatest thing in the world. But in Jesus' day and age, they were there for the poor, the downcast. They were there for those who were just travelers along the road. If they needed something to eat, you could always go. If it just had leaves on it, you knew there should be some taquash there. And you could go and get something to just put in your belly so that you would feel just a little bit better. I hear it's not bitter. It's not bad. It's a little sweet. It's just not as sweet as a full ripe fig. And so when Jesus, when the Bible tells us that Jesus saw that it was in leaves, my hunch is he was going for some taquash. He wanted to see if there was a little, just a little bit left over from last year that could just sustain a peasant or, or a, a weary traveler along the road. Remember, he's come all the way from, uh, from Jericho, the lowest city uh, really on the planet Earth. And they, they, he's walked all the way up and he's been in Bethany and now he's come all the way to Jerusalem. He's hungry and he's looking for something, just even a little bit left over, just to feed those who are hungry. And he finds nothing there. Which is also a sign, if there is no taquash on a fig tree, it means there will be no fruit, there will be no mature figs that come that season. So Jesus then says, may no one eat fruit from you again. And walks on. Now remember, there's something deeper going on, and where does Jesus go right after this confrontation with the fig tree? Where does He go? Anybody? goes to the temple. That's right. And the symbol for a temple in some of the prophets is what? The fig tree. And, and so he goes in and he begins to see some things uh, in the temple that are going on. And, uh, and, and it kind of disturbs him. He, he goes in and it says, That he entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not let anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Now I want to bring your attention to this very important verse 17. And as he taught them. So, so often we think, oh, well, Jesus got angry. And I've seen this, you know, throughout my years. I've grown up in the church for a long time. Well, Jesus was angry because people were buying and selling things in the church. I have a good friend of mine. His name is Steve Adams. He's written some of the songs that are in our hymnal. Uh, like, it's all because of God's amazing grace. You ever heard that song? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. Well, he used to travel and he would minister to congregations and he would lead them in worship and, and he would do these things and he would have his table set up in the back. His kind of livelihood to sell tapes and songs and those kinds of things. And he'd have people come in with this verse and literally have, have, uh, you know, even some nice Little old men, try and come turn his table over. Drive this out. And uh, thankfully Steve is small, but a small of stature, but strong of hand. and could hold that table to the ground. That's not what Jesus was upset about. Jesus was teaching through an object lesson. Jesus was interrupting the worship service. You know, we think we're all calm here in service. I mean, we sing some songs, we clap our hands. That's about as animated as we get, right? In Jesus' day and age, to worship the Lord uh, was to uh, bring animals and to sacrifice. And, and if you were coming from a long distance, it had to be a, a pure sacrifice with no blemishes and no cuts or bruises or those kinds of things. You didn't want to walk a long way where an animal could fall or trip or something could get at it. So you would buy and do your, your worship time stuff to get ready for the service right there in the temple. So Jesus, in, in turning things over and stopping people and halting worship, was, just, was doing just that. He was teaching a lesson. He wanted to draw attention to what he was about to say. He wasn't angry. He wasn't uh, throwing everybody out. He was just interrupting the midst of what they were doing. He wanted them to pay attention. And then, he pulls together two prophetic scriptures he takes one out of isaiah 56 7 and he takes one out of jeremiah seven eleven. now if you were to go and read isaiah 56 7 it says it it, it does finish with that verse is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations But in that passage leading up to that verse in Isaiah 56, if you want to go and read that uh, this week, you will see that it talks about a eunuch. And Isaiah is writing to his people and he's saying, if a eunuch who cannot have kids, it is someone who has been emasculated, shall we say? To be kind. This isn't Family Sunday, okay? Uh, So it is it is someone who has had their body altered. And it probably wasn't done with their consent when they were a little boy. There's no hope of children. And honestly, they were not allowed in the temple because they were seen as an abomination. And yet Isaiah says, if a eunuch comes to me, I will give him more than a family. If he comes in honor of my name, he will be mine and I will be his. His. It goes on to say, and if any outsider, they use the word Gentile, if anyone who's on the outside, anybody who's not Jewish, wants to come to my temple and pray, I will hear them. I will take them as my own. And I will be their God and they will be. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the first part. That should be good news because I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish. So it means that I can call. You can call on the name of the Lord and know that He hears and He loves you. He he connects it also though with this. He says, that's what it's supposed to be. But here's what it is. And he quotes Jeremiah 7.11. He says, but you have turned my house into a den of robbers or thieves. Now, we've got to to work with that word just a little bit, okay? Because when we think of robbers, we think of something like this. All right? It's not this. Uh, Whether it's hamburgers or gold or bank or whatever, we're not talking about this kind of robber, Okay? When Jesus uses the word, and when Jeremiah uses the word, the actual word, if you translate it in kind of the old English, it's a brigand. Um, we might use the word today as a terrorist. Um, if you were in colonial England, you might use the word patriot. Now, we've, we've turned that into a good word, but back then it was a bad word. It was somebody who was just so blinded by hate, That they will resort to violence or to a violent coalition to get whatever they want. It is somebody who just has one track in mind. And let me tell you, it is not about welcoming the outsider into the presence of God. It is all about keeping them out so that we have God safe for ourselves. You can, you can find this in any day and age. You can call them terrorists. You can call them nationalists. You can call them racists. You can call them whatever you want to call them. But this is the connotation of what Jesus has in mind when he says, when he quotes Jeremiah saying, you've turned it into a den of robbers. You have turned it into a political thing, a political tool to keep some people out and some people in so that you can have God for yourself. And oh, by the way, it just so happens that all the people that you say are good and righteous and can be in look like you smell like you dress like you do the things you do and believe the same way that you believe. And Jesus says, that's not what the house of God was intended for. The house of God was intended for a place of prayer for all nations. And the temple was to be a place where forgiveness was shown to the nations. And Jesus says, I don't even find a little bit of taquash. I don't find a little tiny shoot even left over from last year's crop that would be enough to let one small peasant find their way to God. I don't see anything here. So he says to the temple, just what he said to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you again. And he leaves. And we find out they live right up to what Jesus said they were. They start plotting. want to find a way to kill Jesus. Because we don't like what He's saying. We don't like this idea. This happens all the time, doesn't it? We begin to see this. When religion becomes something that we use, a tool that we use to define who's in and who's out, it always winds up ending with no fruit whatsoever and trying to assassinate the character of, or actually assassinate, the messenger who is calling out the fact that there's not even a little bit of forgiveness here left to give out to any weary travelers on the road. There's no taquash. Not even that. So, I just may no one eat from you again. That's what Jesus says. It seems like harsh words. The fig tree withers. And Peter points it out. He says, hey, that tree that you you cursed, it withered. And then Jesus goes into what I think sounds so bizarre. It seems so out of place, doesn't it? and he says hey look that thing you told never never eat fruit from again it's withered no one's going to eat fruit from it again that's pretty impressive and then jesus goes on and talks about faith and you know mountains being thrown into the sea and don't doubt in your heart but believe uh what you say will happen in prayer it will be done for you and and i've heard so many people sometimes think okay if you don't doubt me just watch watch some tv preaching long enough and oh well I don't doubt that there will be a Ferrari in my driveway after church today. Or I don't doubt that miraculously my mortgage will be paid off. Or for me, my student loans will be paid off. And I just believe that. Oh, and then I go and it's not there. Oh, well, I must not have believed this strong enough. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What's going on for Jesus? I I think we need to hear this because it has something to say for you and to me. Okay? Remember, the goal of the temple was forgiveness and blessing out into the nations. Jesus is saying it's gotten so wrapped up in politics and and in uh, us versus them that there's not even a little bit of forgiveness and not even a little bit of to quash to to help someone. So he lets go. He says, you know, I, I pray the disciples are beginning to get it. the temple will not be a place where people go for forgiveness, That's nerve-wracking if you're an ancient Jew. That's kind of scary. So what does that mean? What does it mean to move mountains? and, And what is the mountain? Well, I'll tell you. I think it's in the last verse that we read. You ready to hear the mountain described? Here's the mountain. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven... May forgive your sins. You see, for us, sometimes the taquash is the forgiveness that sometimes the thing that Jesus is now looking for is not a building where forgiveness is dispensed, but He is looking for a group of people who are so engaged with forgiveness and understand how much they have been forgiven that they not only just have to quash to give out, they have full, mature, ripened fruits that can feed the nations and bless them with the forgiveness that only God can give. And he says, it's not gonna be in a building anymore, it's gonna be in you guys. It's gonna be in you. It's gonna be in you ladies. It's gonna be in you kids and you students. You can be filled with forgiveness. But oh my goodness, is that a mountain that needs to be moved? Is it not? Sometimes to be the agent of forgiveness seems like as about as valid as telling a mountain to go and throw itself in the sea. But Jesus says, with faith in God, with faith in the One who shows this kind of forgiveness and gives it out willingly and readily, you can learn to say to the mountain of the One who cannot forget you, you're having trouble forgiving, God, help me to forgive. Maybe that's the taquash. Just being able to say in your own heart, Oh God, I'm so angry with that person. Or you don't know what they did to me. Or, oh, "Your God. Yes, you know what they did to me. And you know that I shouldn't have to forgive them. But I want to even just have a little bit of taquash. Help me to forgive them. Maybe, maybe your taquash help me to even want to forgive them. Help me to even have one inkling of trying to forgive them. And that's the start. If you can get to there, if we just follow the example of the fig tree, mature fruit will come in time. But it's going to feel like at first saying to a mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. But Jesus says, do it anyways. Believe it anyways. Do that. You know what makes throwing mountains into the sea. You know what makes throwing uh, uh, unforgiveness, throwing the past into the sea, you know what makes it such a mountain? Is because fear has to be overcome. It's hard to forgive someone when you're afraid of them. It is. And this is where it becomes difficult for you and me as people because we need to be delivered from fear in order to be able to forgive. I want to show you someone who I think is is showing way more than just to quash, but is going out and not letting fear rule, and going out and sharing forgiveness by doing some things for people. You met them last summer while I was gone. Not this one that's just well, this one that continues to go on. It's still ninety degrees outside. Um, you met the Scots. They're over in Croatia. They go as missionaries with the Church of the Nazarene, which is our denomination. And they are there and they are ministering to the millions and millions of immigrants that are trying to find access into Europe right now. They go and they put on these yellow vests that says in few languages, the church of the Nazarene, we're here to help. And they have, they have taken on the project of finding shoes for people. Because if you've walked from Syria to Greece or to Croatia or Bulgaria or someplace like that, your shoes don't always hold up. And so they're simply, that's all they're doing. Their taquash is simply going and trying to talk with people, which means they get down in the mud and the dirt and they try and measure out people's feet and give them clean feet with clean socks and clean shoes. And they, they go with them and they warn them and they walk with them and they help them and they try to do this that's all they're trying to do and I was just I was just with uh, one of our teachers of 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 missionary work this past week she said guess what as they're entering the countries that they're going into guess what they're saying when they're asked what religion Nazarene (laughs) about like 85 percent now Nazarene isn't a religion But they know that the yellow-vested people help them. And they're in a time where they're questioning Islam because it's let them down. And they're beginning to see someone who cares about them. And they want to be a part of that. They know that just that taquash is the hope of possible ripe fruit. What is it for you? Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe that's the mountain. Maybe it's that husband or that wife that it's just been a struggle and a struggle and a struggle and a struggle and I don't know what to do and I can't do that and it seems like a mountain. But God, help me to have just a little bit, a little tiny shoot that could sustain. Just help me to even want to say to the mountain, go throw yourself in the sea. Help me to get rid of fear and what would happen in this moment. Help that fruit to begin to mature in me. And as your pastor, I want to say to you, This is what we're called called to. We are not called to be a people of fear because fearful people cannot forgive. We are called to be fig trees that have mature fruit. It may start with just a little bit. And that's okay. That's a sign of something better to come. But my fear is sometimes that we in the church in America... And even this wonderful church here, we're so afraid that we have leaves and we have no thing to offer to someone in the way of forgiveness. And my worry is that Jesus would say to us, may no one eat fruit from you again. He's just declaring what's actually true of the fig tree. There's not going to be any fruit. So it's not fulfilling its purpose. Our purpose, brothers and sisters, is to be a people filled with forgiveness, which means that the mountains of fear and unforgiveness must must be said, in the name of Jesus, throw yourself in the sea. Sea is a metaphor for forgiveness in the Old Testament, isn't it? Are you ready? Do you you want to, to have the fruit of forgiveness? There's a world out there that's waiting for it. It means that we have to talk to Jesus honestly about our fear and about our lack of forgiveness. But we want to see just a little bit, right? I'd settle for just the taquash. Because when there's taquash, we know the mature fruit's on the way. What about you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus... This seemingly harsh passage about your interaction with a fig tree and people in temple leadership has really shown itself to be a plea for mercy, forgiveness, and perfect love which casts out all fear. Lord we, we live in a world filled and consumed with fear. So no wonder it's hard for us to forgive. But you told your disciples a long time ago that that you're calling us to be temples of forgiveness. You're, you're calling us to be the ones that, that maybe start out with just a little bit, but if we can just keep starting out with a little bit, mature fruit is on its way. We want to be people of forgiveness. We, we want to show the kind of love that you showed. That isn't about lording power over others. That is about getting down in the mud and measuring their feet for shoes that they desperately need. So that we can have the opportunity to share with them the forgiveness of God. Who calls all nations to himself calls them all to know His great mercy, compassion, and love. And to begin embodying that compassion and mercy and love out into the world. God, forgive us. Have mercy on us. For more often, we are consumed with the things that Jesus said makes us a den of robbers. Of brigands, of patriots, terrorists. We don't want to be that. We believe that you have forgiven us and we want to be people who forgive. So help us to say to the mountains of fear and unforgiveness, throw yourself in the sea. And if it only produces a little bit, we know that that will go on to maturity. Help us today. Help us today. Help us to be fruitful. For we ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.